This is episode 50. 50 interviews featured on Between Two Blue Devils. For me, it's hard to believe that a simple activity in a classroom would evolve into 50 episodes of amazing and inspiring stories. I'm honored that so many of you have been with me since the beginning and that you take time out of your day to listen to my amazing guests. I do want to give a special shout out to listener Michelle Messina, who really enjoyed episode 48 with Dr. Sheriff Kirkich. On Twitter, she said, This was a fascinating interview. I personally know Dr. K and knew some of his story. It was intriguing to hear his whole story. What an inspiring interview. Mrs. Messina, thank you for listening and giving the podcast such a positive review. Today's interview will be equally inspiring. I sit down with Mr. Mark Treen, the new principal of Talmadge High School. For many of you, this may be your first time hearing his voice and hearing his story. You are in for a treat. Mark is the real deal. He is a passionate husband, father, and principal. He loves the students at Tommage High School, and he is embracing his new role as the leader of THS. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss another episode. Be sure to share this interview as well. Now, kick your feet up, grab that Crimson Cup coffee, and listen in and learn more about Talmadge High School's new principal, Mr. Mark Katrine. Welcome back, listeners, and I want to welcome you back to a very special episode. This, for me, is a monumental event for multiple reasons. First and foremost, this is episode number 50. And for me, uh, when I began this journey of Between Two Blue Devils, I never imagined having more than 10 episodes, let alone 50, with many, many more to come. But another reason this is such a monumental podcast episode for me is because of my guest, who in a very short period of time has become someone that I regard as a friend and a mentor, and he has had an incredible impact in my life. Uh, Today, I get to sit down with the principal of Talmadge High School, Mr. Mark Treen. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Treen. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. So um, I am super excited that we finally put this together. Uh, I wish we would have launched it months ago, but as you Mm -hmm. and I both know, this new adventure that we're on, uh, we had no idea how fast-paced it would be. I mean, we blinked, and here it is, mid-February already, and it's gone by so fast. Yeah, I mean, you think about uh, when we first met in June, that here we are in February and like what we've already kind of overcome, tackled, uh, the students that we've already impacted, some of the minor, I call minor changes that we've made to the building. You know, it has really gone fast. Yeah. It is way, way fast, faster than I expected. I can't believe that we're knocking on the door of spring break. So, uh, so this story is long overdue. Our audience, our community, I know many of them are wondering who Mark Treen is, and I'm excited to be able to introduce to you, uh, introduce to them who who you are. Who is Mark Treen? Yeah, that <laughs> that can go in a lot of different ways, and I think at the core, I am the a leader, an educator, a husband, you know, a father, but really, I'm j- I'm just a person that I like to show up with my hard hat, with my work pail and like go to work. Uh, Because the, you know, the journey that I've had to get to like, just here leading Talmadge High School has been, you know, a surprising one, because I never really, I think I said a lot of things back early in my career, like, hey, I, maybe I'll be a principal or a curriculum person or whatever. But like, really to think about where I'm at right now, I'm just really fortunate to like be here in Talmadge because um, there's only 10 or so jobs in Summit County of this nature, mm-hmm. and this is number one. And so for like, that's exciting. So. so you mentioned many of the roles that you play, and to be honest with you, uh, 
I want to know more about each of those roles. I know you and I have a lot of conversations. We've had a lot of heartfelt conversations, but there's still a lot about you that I don't know. So I'm going to start off with your role as a, the first hat that you mentioned, you're a husband. You want to tell us about uh, your role as a husband and your wife? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to, to be the husband of Kelly Treen is one of the most favorite um, favorite things that I get to do. Uh, we have two kids, Madeline, five, and Drew, who is three, two dogs, Newton and Cabby. And we, we hail, or we are from Green, uh, Green which is down, down the road. And, you know, when, when it, if you would look at me in the household, I am not the principal of our household. I am, let me rephrase that, I am the principal of the household. And what I mean by that is I just do anything and everything to make sure that the, the house continues to be successful. Um, you know, I, I, I love uh, getting down on the floor with the kids and being an active father. You know, I love um, just going on walks, taking the dogs uh, around the around the um, around the yard and around the neighborhood. You know, and just for us as two young professionals and and really in demand jobs, you know, there's nothing better, especially with the amount of stress that we face, is to get home and to give my wife a nice big hug, cook her dinner, uh, have a nice family meal, talk about what the ups and the downs of of the day, uh, and really just be a dad. And, and be a husband because what I'm learning is it's a temporary it's temporary because mm-hmm. everything is shifting and everything is transitioning you know the um, as newlyweds and you know when you don't have any kids to um, now where we are we, we have two successful careers and and we have kids that are almost in public school which is for me is crazy to think about it's always temporary and so like how can I be as present as possible with within my house Mm -hmm. because that is the number one priority of in my life Mm -hmm. because if i'm not if if the house isn't in order then how much high school Hmm. is going to be affected and so i got to give a a tremendous shout out to my family for support Mm -hmm. but kelly specifically wow yeah you know you mentioned about how quickly Time goes by. I mean, I've, I've talked to you about this multiple times about how I've just blinked and my kids are where they're at now. You know, we're now in this sort of pseudo empty nest period in the Horner household where Noah, being a junior, is pretty self sufficient. He's out doing his thing and Kelsey's in college. So it's just Jen and I walking around and we look back at the life that you're living now with two young ones and being pulled in many di- different directions. And we're like, that time just went by too quickly. I mean, mm. we're like, where did it go? And man, we want it back. Mm. And so you, you've got to savor every moment because they are fast and, and fleeting for sure. How long have you been married? Yeah. So Kelly and I are, we have an, we have an, we have a good, we have an interesting story. Uh, we were in the same high school together. So we both went to Springfield. Um, I was a senior and she was a freshman, but I was too, in her words, too nerdy. <laughs> to even talk to. <laughs> and uh, I, I think I have a different perspective on that, but we'll let hers uh, drive this conversation. And and so we we actually had um, my friends, their younger siblings were her friends. And so at, so when we both got into college, we had met. And um, the day that I had met her, I knew that she was special. Hmm. And I can tell you, I, like right now, I'm imagining exactly where I was what the words were of that conversation and she was such a just a different young woman that I've ever talked to and so we met I want to say we've only, we've been together almost 20 years so 19 years got married in 2011 so we dated for a long time because we didn't want to we didn't want to rush into that that legal commitment we mm-hmm. we had we had we were committed to each other, but we wanted to take our time in terms of like make sure that we were building the right family to make sure that you know our we didn't want to make any rash decisions. And so we, yeah, we we dated young, um, but we always were together. So I think I was 21 and she was she was just uh, just 19, uh, and so really like we spent like I reminded her like this year like. I'll, she'll have spent more time with me, you know, dating me or being married to me 
than she was before that. And that's like a, that's a scary proposition to think through. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You know, I remember when we had that, that, that pivot where we're like, oh my gosh, I've spent more than half my life with you and, and you with me. It's, 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 well, it's a checkpoint in a relationship. Oh yeah. And it just, I, I think about the ups and the downs that we've had and, and, and really like we've always had, uh, we've, we've had the same commitment to each other, which yeah. is we knew where we knew where we were right for each other. Sometimes the conversation was, is it right now or is it later? And I, I, I am so grateful that we about our story because our story is not perfect mm-hmm. but it's perfectly our ours mm-hmm. and and now that we're you know i don't want to say that we're on the other side but now that we're just established it, it's nice to have that confidence and that like that grounding yeah as a young married couple to say okay we can do this we can be um like our relationship's not a zero sum, sum game it's not like hey if you're a principal then you need to do this or you know, Kelly has an in-demand job. I have to step back. When we were talking about uh, my opportunity here in Talmadge, you know, the the question that she posed was, what type of support do we need Mm -hmm. as a married couple to be successful so that you can get this role? Hmm. And I found that to be such an encouraging statement that it like kind of, it was that statement that kind of charted the course of me getting this job. And it was her in the background saying the right things. Hmm. You know, I think maybe 15 years ago, I don't know what that sounds like, but it doesn't sound like that. Yeah, And that was just a tremendous vote. It's not a vote, a show or a display of love. Sure. That she was like, hey, we we can do this. And so we got those supports in and and that conversation was super simple. And so it gave me the confidence to walk into the interview process to know that I had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I love the fact that you had that conversation. And, and you said that it was a simple conversation. And yet when you look at relationships and those types of conversations, a lot of times it's easier to avoid them. And then you end up making decisions that do not benefit the relationship or the marriage. But you had you laid it all out there and you got those um those systems in place so that you can be successful. I, I love it. I mean, that's... Well, and I got to be honest with you. I'm, by nature, I'm an avoider. Yeah. Uh, that's how I kind of handle my stress. And Kelly is the opposite of an avoider. She, and that's like what makes us special is she's like, Mark, let's go. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. She has held my feet to the fire uh, professionally, personally, spiritually um, so many times. And it's, it's, it's what it's, we are the ultimate yin and yang. <laughs> It's the opposites attract type of a thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So, okay. So let's go back to Springfield High School. You know, she described you as being too nerdy. Oh, yeah. I mean, who who was Mark Treen in high school? Describe Mark Treen as a Springfield Spartan. So, you know, I was probably the student that um, was always on the outside of what I thought was success. You know, I I wasn't like the athlete. I wasn't the most popular kid, but I was known to come from a really good family uh, from Springfield. You know, I was I took a lot of AP courses, uh, honors courses, but I always never felt that I was um, I was never a part of like that upper echelon. And so mm-hmm. I was in the band, I was in choir, I was in Spartan Airs, I was um, I was on the golf team. Found out that ba- I was slow, so I didn't uh, didn't make the basketball team my ninth grade year. But really, like. When I think about the profile that I had, you know, I didn't necessarily. When I when I think back from my experience of high school, I don't have a lot of memories from high school. I mean, they're they're positive, but I think I was just that student that just kind of blended in, mm. and I don't know how much that drives me today, uh, and how I lead, who I lead, how I influence others. But really, like I had a solid academic experience that my teachers um, they really prepared me um, for the next phase of my life, mm-hmm. you know, and I got to think about actually, he's a Talmadge resident, Mr. Cole, he was our band director and he was probably one of the most influential teachers that I had because mm-hmm. he was passionate. Uh, he was kid centered. Um, and, and, and he led a program that was like really, really good. And he allowed us to, um, kind of develop multiple avenues. You just didn't need to be in band. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, he allowed me to be in multiple avenues to over, to develop myself overall, uh, so I didn't have to like kind of 
um, become a one-trick pony. Pony, mm-hmm. and I and but teachers like Mr. Cole, uh, it, and a lot of other teachers at Springfield at the time were super impactful in terms of like why I chose the profession. Okay, so besides Mr. Cole, and uh, I love the Cole family. Oh yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> but who's another teacher that really? impacted you that maybe you modeled your teaching style after because you spent a couple years in the classroom and we'll talk about that here in a moment but I mean who really influenced you or kind of presented the uh the role of a teacher to you in a way that you wanted to kind of pursue that path yeah it was uh, his name was Don Wallace um and people in Springfield would call him Donnie um if you're his age at least uh, he's around my dad my, my parents age and um, he was a he was a math teacher, and he taught he taught AP calculus, uh, a class that I didn't think I was good enough to be in. And all through my career, you know, teachers motivate students in different different ways, and some negative and some positive. And when I got to Mr. Wallace's classroom, I was it almost feel it almost felt like it was bigger mm-hmm. than what I was able to overcome. And Mr. Wallace was just reassuring. He was supportive. He was enthusiastic, but he's, he was enthusiastic about us. And, you know, we, I talked about that. I was never on like the, in the popular cr- crew. And that's, that's where that, where that subgroup of that population was. It was all in good classes. Mm-hmm. And that class was the closest class as a population, as 17, 18 kids, mm-hmm. there was no no one better than than the next. And I think that was because of Mr. Wallace and how he interacted with us. Wow. And he just brought enthusiasm about teaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the content, like he knew his stuff. He was he was a you know, when I when I think back, he was a really um, tried and true educator from like a practice perspective. Mm-hmm. He knew how to assess you. He knew how to push you. He knew how to give you good quality feedback. And but it was really his persona that he had is that I was like, you know what? I like that persona. There needs to be more people. Like if I had to emulate it, that's going to be what I'm going to emulate. Mm-hmm. And so I I quickly realized. Um, the spring of my senior year, it was engineering, business, or education. And I had a, an epiphany that I, I couldn't see myself in a business setting or an engineering setting. And I just put all my eggs in one basket. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to teaching. And it was at the time uh, because of Mr. Wallace and, and Mr. Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, those two just were, they, pre- they presented a blueprint about how to be successful in this profession because it is difficult. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that. The, I like that idea of a, a blueprint on how to be successful, with you know, and the two of them just modeling high expectations but solid relationships with students and and um, kind of leveling the the playing field in the classroom. I love that, and you know, it's one of the things about your leadership that I've noticed that you. Uh, you want what's best for every single student in this building, uh, no matter what their background may be, what their struggle may be. You uh, you see potential in every single student, and uh, and I can see how those two gentlemen kind of led you to that type of a, a philosophy. So you're in high school, and then you decide that you're going to become a teacher. So then you go to college. Where'd you go to college? So went to Kent State and um, met an incredible group of friends that actually I'm still in, in contact with today. Um, it was the year that Kent State went twenty or thirty five and five, and they're ranked number twelve nationally mm-hmm. with Antonio Gates. Mm-hmm. Um, Sp- um, I think his name was um, Andrew Mitchell, Trevor Huffman. And um, my brother, I was struggling in college. I was struggling trying to fit in. I would go to my dorm and play video games like a lot of freshmen do, right? And my, my big brother, Matthew, was uh, on campus and said, hey, why don't you pick up that instrument again and go join the basketball band? And so I did. Oh, really? Yeah, and okay. so I was like, I got a free ticket to watch a once-in-a-generation mid-major basketball team play. Wow. At the peak of their powers. Mm-hmm. Right. And 
I just started to attend events and get really, I started to buy into Kent State mm-hmm. uh, where I just started to meet people and uh, started to gain that confidence that I that I didn't have at the time. Mm-hmm. And then you take that big bubble of Kent and you feel it's huge. And by the end of my senior year, you know, it was, it felt like a community college because you knew people Mm -hmm. and whether it was at Williams Hall or Smith Hall in the sciences or down in the White Hall um, for the the teaching profession, Mm -hmm. you know, I I was walking all over campus, just really like really confident that like, hey, this is like, I felt the world revolved around Ken at the time. Um, And really still to this day, I, I, I I go back to Ken and I'm like, man, I had such a wonderful experience um, learning about learning, learning about myself Mm-hmm. And making 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 mistakes, but also getting positioned uh, for the next phase. Because if it wasn't for you know what, whether it's fate or something else, if it wasn't for um, someone, and I don't know to this day when I was a student teacher, I was getting to my my last semester. Um, I was supposed to be up in like East Cleveland, mm-hmm. student teaching. And I just told the person, I was like, I can't, I can't make that track. Mm-hmm. And I was pivoted to Stowe and I was a student teacher at Stowe. Mm-hmm. And for those that, um, you know, they don't view principals as teachers, you know, we all start out, we all start out as teachers, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was a student teacher teaching seniors as a 22 year old, three minutes away from my undergrad experience. <laughs> And that was really challenging because yeah. you're trying to separate, you know, I'm, I was trying to grow as a professional and, and also kind of move towards a different set of mm-hmm. values that perhaps not everyone can handle in college. And so <laughs> uh, that's where I landed up as a student teacher. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I had a little bit of the, the same struggle, but I was older when I finally graduated because as, as our listeners know, I was on the eight-year plan. So... Uh, I was a lot older than your average student teacher. So, and then I had middle school, so there was a bit more of a separation, uh, and I didn't have that that close issue with with the kids I was teaching. But a lot of a lot of teachers do struggle with that. You know, you're 21, 22 wow. teaching 18 year olds. It's really it's it's challenging. It was it was funny because the other night um, you and I had the opportunity to go back to Kent to speak at the uh, Kent State Educational Association (KSEA). Uh, meeting that they had and talk about what administrators look for and aspiring teachers and when we walk on campus and we're sitting there it was you just had that that look on your face right before we started sharing you're like oh I'm home again I haven't been here in so long and you're just kind of looking around with this sentimental feeling like you you missed it and it you could tell that it played a huge role in your life and and the thing about it is is I didn't know the role that Kent played in my development at the time, mm-hmm. you know, I, what I was thinking about at the time when I was walking down those steps down in the white hall, I, I was thinking about the um, chair of the physics depart, uh, department from KSU. Um, he challenged me as a student. I wasn't the best student in, 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 in college. I just, I didn't have my priorities straight all the time. Like, like many kids and Dr. Gleason, called me out on an assignment about um, about plagiarism. And I had the wrong, I thought I, what I was doing was the right thing. We were working in labs or we working in pairs in a, in a high-end physics lab. And I, borrow, I borrowed my uh, lab partner's introduction. This was like a 24-page written lab report. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Gleason called me out on it. Hmm. But instead of calling me out and sending me upstairs or wherever he he said hey you're going to redo it and you are going to do it the right way and this is what i need from you mm-hmm. and i was thinking about you know in our i think it was, they were called inquiry classes we learned about brown versus board of education in 2002 <laughs> there's well, our bell yeah oh yeah we're at the school <laughs> in 2002 and i was like how is this relevant and here we are, twenty, you know, twenty three years later, mm-hmm. and what a sea change Brown versus Board of Education was mm-hmm. for Black students. Mm-hmm. And we had, I was, I was taught, I was taught by a university professor that shook hands, had the picture in his office with MLK. Wow. And I, I didn't even like, but at the time I was like, this is 
exhausting. Why? Hmm. And as I was walking down those steps, that's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about, I wasn't thinking about the social piece. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the formative learning experiences that at the time felt really difficult. But now that I look back, if I didn't have them, mm-hmm. where would I be? And it's funny because that university, prof- that so that chair of the physics department, when I got the job at Talmadge, he shot me an email and said, hey, congrats, Mark. Wow. And that was- That's pretty cool. Tw- 2005 is when I was exiting campus. Wow. So just and, and he's keeping tabs on you, and he sees that in the news, you know, on a, on a press release or something, yeah. and takes the time to shoot that out to you. Yep, that's pretty cool. So you're in college, and I've got three questions: two that are quick, and then one that might be a little bit longer about that. But we can't move past this prized piece of information. Your freshman year, you were a gamer. Oh. What games did you play? <laughs> Um, it would have been, uh, Madden on the PS2, yeah, the black one. And, um, I think, uh, Dante Culpepper was on the Vikings. Uh, yeah, I remember <laughs> the cover of that. Yeah. And then Grand Theft Auto 3. All right. So this is before the days of like online gaming. Yeah. You know, and so, and then also I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll double down the, the show that we watched was PTI, pardon the interruption, Tony and Mike had just gone on air. And if you remember that, that was in September or late August of, of 2001. Mm-hmm. And then they were they ran live the day of September 11th. Hmm. And I, I never forgot that episode. Hmm. Yeah, so wow. my dorm room was video games, uh, chicken parm sandwiches, <laughs> Lots of studying. Good old Fletcher Hall. Yeah. Well, my my apartment was, I, I had a computer and I played a lot of Diablo. Oh, yeah. Right? And ate a lot of pizza. Didn't do a lot of studying. And uh, we were generally watching Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore on constant rotation. <laughs> so, and if we were playing anything live, we were playing Euchre. Uh, at the University of Akron, we would all, some of my fellow Zips out there know the chuckery as it used to be, and we would sit up there and just play euchre and skip class a lot. The chuckery. The chuckery. Yes, <laughs> yes, there you go. Those are the days. So the second question that we cannot move past is you mentioned that you played an instrument. What did you play, and do you still play it? Yeah, so I, I my music career is behind me, um, but I, I ended up playing the tuba. But it was because I had ADHD when it came to mu- music. I couldn't find a home. I, I played, I pre- I played probably seven different instruments because I would just get bored. Like the melody was bored on the trumpet. Then I would pick up the French horn, and then I would do the mellophone. And then I was like, well, the two the two seem to have the most fun on the football field, besides like the football players. Mm-hmm. So like that's 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 a. Uh, that's why I ended up there. And so mm-hmm. when, if you would find a picture online, and some people have tried, um, but yeah, I'd be in the flasher brass sitting with a, with a sousaphone wrapped around me, playing the Kent State fight song, watching Antonio Gates, you know, <laughs> go 18 and 8, uh, you know, from Michigan State. Or that's awesome. Should have been at Michigan State. That's awesome. And so, uh, yeah, so it's interesting that you talk about that. You know, I actually was in the band as well. And I, I started off playing the trumpet. You mentioned the role that your band director played in your, and music teacher played in your life. Mine was Dr. Don uh, Bechtel, and he played a huge role in my life and still have just such deep respect for him and the role that he played. Played the trumpet, but uh, could never get to first chair. I was always battling against uh, Lana Willis, you know, that someone I talked to and Chris Baldwin and th- these individuals were far better than I was. And I always wanted to be first chair. So when our band director bought a four valve uh, baritone, silver baritone and asked for volunteers, I was like, yep, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be the only one. I'll be first chair and I'll be playing a brand new instrument. So I played that four valve uh, baritone for the for a couple of years and and loved it and wish I still played. Mm. You know, I wish I had kept up with some of the instruments. Every once in a while I dabble with the guitar, but I'm too lazy to build up the calluses now. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, last question is this. So at what point 
you know, from your senior year in high school, you may have mentioned this and I might've missed it, but then at what point did you and Kelly start dating? So, yeah, I, I would say we had got on a, on the campus September, 2001, went through September 11th. Hmm. Um, and I would say, so 2004, so we, so I was a junior, mm-hmm. junior, senior by the time that Ke- when Kelly and I first met. And that's by that time I was already, um, I knew where I was going by the time, I, by the time that I had met my wife yeah, or my now wife, it was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a teacher. Like if you have any problem with that, kind of get off the boat now because I'm not going to make a lot of money mm-hmm. and I'm going to grade a lot of papers because I think <laughs> this is what I need to be doing. Yeah. You know? And she's like, okay, that's fine. And so you, uh, you asked her out mm-hmm. and what was your first date? Yeah, she also reminds me of this. So again, do, for your <laughs> listeners, do not take any type of dating or relation relationship advice from me, because still to this day, she reminds me that our first date was dodgeball. I didn't provide an opera. So the movie with uh, uh, Vince, oh, I, Vince Vaughn. I thought you were gonna tell me that you took her to play dodgeball. No, <laughs> like, no that would have been awesome. <laughs> she never would have. There would, there would not have been a, a second date, but no, it was dodgeball. Mo- okay. And we went down um, at the strip down in Belden. I think it was there. And, um, you know, I wasn't smart enough to think through, like, hey, what's the purpose of a first date? It was like, let's just, like, watch a movie, and then I'll take it back home. And I didn't think through, like, dinner. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> let's talk about uh, let's talk about whatever you want, you want to talk about at the time. It was just like, nope, I was so excited just to ask her out uh because it was one of those things to where she kind of probably asked me out because when we first met um that night she was like you better call me you know i like i need some massive social cues at times (laughs) that is one of them i was like oh okay this is promising so like we had such an in-depth conversation or the first time that we had met that i was already like i was already head over heels and i was like let's just like let's just skip the conversation part like let's let's go to step two right and <laughs> and but no she always kind of tells me she's like and the movie was horrible what we ended up really doing though is the movie was going going on we were talking beside each other yeah and just giggling and and laughing and 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 kind of just having the sidebar conversation we we're terrible audience members but yeah that's where we ended up um it was pretty short but she was living with her parents at the time and dropped her back off and and then really like you know, that first summer, like we just, like we, we just were with each other all the time. Mm-hmm. And when we had to go back and off, you know, kind of go school resumed in August, it was, it was a, it was a hard, it was hard. Mm-hmm. Cause like I, at that time I was like, you know what? She's special. I like, how do I, how do I really go from point one to point two? Yeah. You know, how do I, how do I make this serious without mm-hmm. going too serious? Yeah. So. It's funny as you're talking about that, you know, and I'm I'm thinking back to when my wife and I first met and our first date and and um how how the relationship just kind of kind of grew. I, I remember wondering, okay, I feel real serious about her and I think she feels serious about me. How am I going to have that conversation and kind of elevate the seriousness of the relationship? But then it gets kind of blurry and now I, you know, now here we are 25 years later. And we dated for six years before we got married, and um, and it's just like it's funny how it just it just grew into that into that relationship, and it it just went to the next level, and uh, and we just couldn't stand being away from each other. Yeah, and, and growth is like, but but for us, it was never linear. Mm-hmm. Uh, gro- growth, you talk about like the life cycle of a relationship. Yeah. We went through a couple of different life cycles in college. Yeah. There, we we knew that we there was just this unspoken, like it was spoken at times, but it was also unspoken. It was like, we're, we're, you're going to be there at the end of the, at, at, when I'm ready, you're going to be there. Mm-hmm. And there were times, there were times that we weren't ready for each other because the, the, the part of our life didn't match up. Mm-hmm. You know, she was a little bit younger than I was. Yeah. And there was a time and we took, we took a break and there was a time that she, uh, she called, she called me and said, hey, I, I need a recommendation for this. Uh, we hadn't talked in six months. She was like, I need, I need a recommendation, and I need, can you write it? Because you're the only one who knows me. Hmm. And that's when it was like, oh, okay. We're, for her to 
make that awkward phone call mm-hmm. with Man. whatever she was going through. Like it was just a commitment to say, okay, we're ready to roll. Yeah. In terms of like this next, that next phase. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause like I said, it, we were in cycles and then, um, from then on, it was, we just started build, building our life together, mm-hmm. you know, and I would say that was probably 2000, uh, we met in 2004, so that was probably 2007-ish, mm-hmm. so like, she was starting to get out of college, and mm-hmm. it was like, okay, she was working at First Energy at the time, or excuse me, it was Joanne Fabrics as an intern, and that's when we started to like, kind of really, chart, we started charting that course, mm-hmm. that post-college life course. Yeah. So, yes, you know, we actually took a break as well. Uh, You know, as you're mentioning your break and I'm thinking about my break and then I'm thinking about the conversation I had where we uh, reconnected after a couple months. It's it's funny how much when you reflect on it, how much you grew during that period of time. Like it was miserable when we decided to call things off. Right. I wasn't happy that we had ended things, but then you grew in the areas that you needed to grow that then contributed to your relationship further down the road, right? You know, you, you build this toolbox of how to deal with certain things that help pull you through, kind of weather the storms that relationships bring with them. Well, and I, and I think the biggest thing, especially with like some of our students that walk in our hallways, like when, I, when we see them building relationships right now, mm-hmm. you know, I always want to, like, I always want to caution students that building relationships is not linear, it's cyclical mm-hmm. to one step forward, two steps back. And, um, it, and it's never the fairy tale. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never the fairy tale that you see in movies. It's not like that. It takes intentional effort, effort. And that's like the, the last five years mm-hmm. of now that we have kids, it takes effort yeah. to stay connected. And yep. you and I have talked about that, right? It takes effort to go to date your wife. It takes yeah. effort to continue to go above and beyond because it's 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 not like the movies, Mm-mm. and as soon as I can help someone get that out of like out of their out of their frame their mental framework of like yeah. how a relationship is, that's that's what I always try to do, and I I do I speak some truth um, from my own past into some students because it's just like hey, like just this is how it really goes, and let it mm-hmm. let it go. Let it go because right now all it's doing is causing you stress and anxiety yeah. and it's impacting your studies. It will it will be fine. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of our listeners don't realize or they don't even think about the role that we do play so often in so many of our students, um, you know, their lives where they come in and because it's the most important thing in their life, that relationship, and because it seems like that's all that exists. And that's natural, right? That's part of being a teenager. You meet someone and then you quote unquote fall in love and then they become the center of your your universe you know one of our roles is just try to kind of caution them okay let's talk about balance and let's talk about setting parameters and let's talk about not defining yourself by the relationship you know finding your foundation in something other than that because a relationship is a struggle it's a grind it does take hard work and it's one of the things you know my wife and I talk about all the time as well you know, those stages, the stage that you're at now as, as a young parent, I mean, it is difficult. It's trying. And if you don't prioritize your spouse or your life partner, then you, uh, it just makes it that much more difficult of a, of a journey. And, uh, you know, now being on the tail end, I'm so thankful that my wife and I spent a lot of time just doing things on our own, separate of our kids. And it was hard. Oftentimes we go out and then we're an hour into dinner and then we're both like, we don't have a lot to talk about other than the kids, you know, and then, you know, then I'd start blabbering out about a book I read or a podcast I listened to or something. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, we, we'd spent time. And so now it's not a shock in this pre empty nester stage, you know, we're, we're enjoying our time together and, and just really watching our relationship continue to evolve. So you, uh, you, you then finished up at Kent and you student taught at Stowe and then where did your educational journey take you after student teaching? Yeah, I, again, I, fate or luck or whatever, um, there was a retirement on the Stowe staff. And it turned out to be the guy, the, the gentleman who retired 
was my dad's science teacher at Springfield. Wow. I didn't know that. That's yep. wow. That's pretty cool. Yep. I don't know how old this guy was. So there's 30 <laughs> years between my dad and I. And yeah, it was Doc Atkins. And uh, so he retired from Stowe. I had the, I had the HR, the department liked me. I, I, f- I filled a skill set that wasn't on staff. I was a physics guy, which is, or a physics teacher. And that's, that's real, it's really hard to come by. Because right. um, not a lot of people, you know, at the time, there's only four, four student teachers in all of Kent State that were physics really? concentration or wow. integrated science with a concentration in physics, four of us. So and, that's where that title of being a little too nerdy comes in handy, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so the department liked me. I was a fit. There was an opportunity. I interviewed. And then the HR, how the interview went, went was the HR just came in and observed you. And so one of my first observations was the HR in a freshman class. Hmm. And she walked around the class and said, why should I hire Mr. Treen? And question. one student, his name's Devin, and I always remember him. He looked at that HR square in the eyes and said, you should hire him because he doesn't give us homework. <laughs> and I turned red. <laughs> not the answer you wanted. Not the, not the answer I wanted. But what I, what, what, if he had to say that, because he was a freshman at the time. Yeah. I, I, again, as a senior, he actually took my class as a senior based upon that relationship that we had built. Okay. And it wasn't because I didn't give homework. It was because we we had a good relationship. Mm-hmm. And he was a student that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like a, an athlete. He was kind of an outsider and and he was just goofball. And mm-hmm. so we just hit, we hit it off. So I ended up uh, getting the job at, at, at Still, but going back to this physics problem, um, I was given a schedule that was not mine. It was actually my cooperating teachers. And, uh, my cooperating teacher called me and said, hey, if you don't take this schedule, you're not going to get it back for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And that, again, was that was truth. Really what it was about was I had his schedule, and he wanted his schedule. But he was not wrong when he said, you need to take this now. Because I was, I, was, I was not confident in my skill set as a teacher and my content knowledge at the time. And then you add in the fact that I am 22 years old, about ready to teach 180 18-year-olds two minutes from my college campus. Mm-hmm. It just freaked me out. Well, but I got over it. Yeah. I took, I, I, I did it. And then within the first, you know, I was in the classroom for six years, not a, not a long time. Uh, especially when people say like, Hey, you, you gotta know what happens in the classroom when you, when you're a leader. And I, and I completely agree with that. I just got the itch faster and it was an itch. I couldn't scratch hard enough. Hmm. And, but going back to my classroom experience, Within the first year that I took the job, I think I had three sections of physics, three or four, and I taught two sections of, of, um, of, of physical science. Within three years, we had two full-time teachers teaching physics. Hmm. We, had, we had 12 sections of physics Wow! at that high school. Wow. 360 kids. Wow. And it wasn't because – and the reason why that we had so many kids is because – we made it accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teacher, actually, in the 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 teacher that co-taught beside me in, in the in the same lane was Mr. Mulroy's neighbor. Oh, or really? is yeah, okay. yeah, Mr. Shear, and he was a he was a second career guy, and he was just a little bit nutty, <laughs> but the kids but the kids loved him. And then you took the enthusiasm that I provided. You know, I always have kids doing projects. I had um, kids always up out of their chairs. Um, I. I um, took a, a rock climbing rope and I put it. I attached it to the top of the gymnasium and swung from side to side um, <laughs> for, as a as a human pendulum. You know, I, I had a lot of fun in the classroom. Yeah. Um, but what ended up happening was I always was pondering questions that affected the classroom, didn't affect my classroom, mm-hmm. because I was teaching a certain le- caliber of student, mm-hmm. and I kept on asking questions. Why? What about this? Why is this student not able to be successful here? Can't they come into my class? And then that's when I had uh, an administrator kind of look at me and say, "Hey, you you should probably you should probably look at getting your master's um, in in leadership." Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, "Okay, 
And again, kind of go back to Kelly. We're not married at the time. Hey, is this a good idea? And she goes, absolutely, go do it. So I got ended up getting my master's within like five years. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I started at year three. I went to Cleveland State. Love Cleveland State's energy. Uh, they were just starting to kind of rebuild that campus. And uh, I finished up within like 14 months. And then I, I only had a year. I only had my degree for one year. And... Um, the opportunity came calling. And so mm-hmm. that summer, um, Kelly and I were getting, Kelly and I got married in October and it was on homecoming weekend, which was the one of the, now we laugh because that's one of the reasons why if homecoming is on October 7th, I'm not coming. <laughs> I will be away with my wife, but we got married on a Friday and then I kind of went back to work, you know, four days later. Mm-hmm. Well, that summer, um, in, June, a job came open again at Stell. There's some, uh, there's a leadership sh- um, shakeup, mm-hmm. and I um, was put into a round of interviews. And it was super competitive. There was like six internal people, just internal. Wow. And we went through, uh, we went through uh, round one and two, and I was told by the HR at the time that um, they take the top three. Well, the last teacher day, I'm packing up and I'm, I'm. We have a flight to Ireland hmm. for our actual honeymoon. Hmm. And I have to leave at like, I don't know, noon. Get picked up, for, you know, to get picked up to go to the airport. HR walks into the room and says, hey, we changed change plans. We're not going to take the top three. We're going to take the top top two. And you, friend, are the third one. And I I walked out of there. The first person to greet me was Kelly and her parents because they were mm-hmm. taking us up to, up to the airport, but it was the best thing for me because mm-hmm. we went, talk about that grief this morning, mm-hmm. we went, we ended up driving around Ireland for 10 days, saw Mumford and Sons, oh, wow. went to- In Ireland, wow. In Ireland, wow. yeah, right. Uh, did some other activities, uh, saw just like, un, just beautiful scenery, drove around the island. Well, we, we take a, like a, rented a charter plane and went over the cliffs of Moore and really just got away. Mm-hmm. Well, we head back. And when I had, when I, when we landed in Chicago, I, I had two voicemails and, you know, international flight, you have no, you have no batteries. Yeah. So I, I checked my voicemail and I have, I have two voicemails, one from a district, uh, actually one from a district down South. Hey, we'd like to interview. And number two was the, a guy from so said, Hey, I need you to call me back. Oh, so I go from Chicago to Cleveland. Now my phone is dead. <laughs> and I get picked up at the airport. Finally get the char- the, the charge on the phone, call, called my contact at Stowe, and said, hey, uh, there is another leadership sh- uh, shakeup. I am now the principal. He only had one, my buddy at the time. Oh, wow. He only had one, one year as an assistant. Huh. And something happened with the previous, with the previous principal. She was terminated. He ascended into the role instead of being the, the, all the plans that they had, you know, the, the, all the plans of, Hey, we're going to go here. Mm -hmm. This person and this candidate were scrapped. Wow. And he looked at me and said, Hey, you want to be the, you want to be an assistant principal at at Stowe high school? So absolutely. So I'm 29 years old and I walk in, I'm, I'm jet lagged and I walk in, I walk into the office the next day and there is a, my friend, Amanda, She's 26 at the time. My buddy Chris, who's the principal, he's 30. I'm 29. And then we have Kathy, who was my mentor, and she was she was in her early 60s. Hmm. So we had three principals under 30. Wow. Leading the biggest building in Summit County with a veteran staff who were like, hey, what are these babies doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how I ended up in that position. So I think we could have a whole episode just on the challenges of leadership in a scenario such as that. Oh yeah. 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 I, um, I learned a lot through that process. Mm -hmm. Number one, like dealing with dealing in a human business, it, it does get messy and don't be surprised. Don't just always be prepared. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of resented, the fact that I wasn't, I never, again, going back to that competition or like not always 
maybe there is a theme here. Always kind of be on the outside in. Mm-hmm. You know, I was never the chosen one, but you know what? Doesn't it doesn't matter. Just be ready for the opportunity when you're called upon. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's you know, it seems like this quote comes up a lot with uh, many of the individuals I interview. But the qu- the quote from Ben Franklin, you know, when opportun- opportunity presents itself, it's too late to prepare. You know, so you always have to be ready. You always have to prepare. You've always got to anticipate an opportunity coming because when it does, it falls in your lap like it did for you. You got to be ready to take it and and to run with it and to lead. So, what was it like as such a young? Uh, administrative team and as a young administrator. So you got to remember, I was a student teacher in this building. Yeah. And then you taught. And so like, not only was I a baby, I was a baby baby to some of these veteran staff. And so I just, I had to take some distance away from the science department at the time uh, because I, they had to see me more, like they knew I had the chops from a teaching perspective, but now it's like, okay, now you're you're no longer teaching AP physics and physics. Mm-hmm. Now you get to go discipline that really challenging student. How's that going to go? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first two years, it was a lot of learning lessons, a yeah. lot. And, but quickly, I think the staff and student body realized that they had a, we had a high quality leadership team in there. Mm-hmm. And I hate all four of us uh, because we were all cut from, the, we were, we were aligned. We were cut from the same cloth. We really tried to bring an instructional focus into the school. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really difficult conversation to have as a principal. You know, historically, it's just, it's just, let's just say it's just challenging to right. really drive, drive, dive deep into the instructional conversation. Yeah. And so you need permission to do that. Mm-hmm. And so the first couple of years, it took me, uh, I, I was gaining permission. And really by the end of it, um, you know, I, I think if you would have compared compared year zero versus year ten, which was last year, and you would have the the anxiety and the concern the building the staff had versus the support that I had ten years later was so so stark. Hmm. It was completely different mm-hmm. over the course of ten years. You know, I had really gained such a good deep understanding of what what's right, how to handle this student, how mm-hmm. to handle this teacher, how to handle this parent, that, you know, it, it was just, it's hard to even tell you what that experience was like because it was, number one, so long. Mm-hmm. But really, it's so, there's many stories of my learning to become a, to become a leader. Yeah. Wow. So as you're talking and as you're you're thinking over the the 10 years that you were there you know i think about the conversations i had when i heard that you were interviewing for this position and then when you when you got the position uh, the the qualities that you have as a leader that that jump out at the people that i talk to you know someone who uh, is compassionate someone who listens someone who just cares deeply about you know, staff members and students, you know, those were the qualities that I kept hearing come up over and over and over again, uh, which is part of the reason why, you know, I decided to take the jump that I did because, you know, those, those are qualities that I value uh, as an individual. And um, so it's just, it's just neat to hear the backstory to all of that. What I would like to do at some point is to kind of get into your leadership role now as it stands. But I think, a lot of that's going to be addressed during future events and in future uh, Sunday night mo- uh, videos that we send out and things <laughs> like that during yeah. the Super Bowl. Yeah, Oops. <laughs> yeah, but uh, which was pre-scheduled, by the way, wasn't intentional to send it out during uh, the Super Bowl. But um, you know, so for the sake of time, because we are kind of nearing uh, an hour, and honestly, we could keep this conversation going forever. This is great. So we'll have to have a part two, uh, but. When you look at your role as a leader and you, you look at your growth as a leader, who would you say or what would you say contributed to that growth? And so kind of what I'm looking for here, I'm a big, I'm a big reader. I love reading leadership books and I kind of have my Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe share with us your Mount Rushmore books and are there mentors that have really poured into you and helped you develop as a leader? Yeah, this is this is the question that I didn't want you to ask, <laughs> because I, I think for me I have so I call it administrative ADHD that I cannot 
I, it's not necessarily putting a, putting five books or five inputs up on a shelf like that. What I have, my father and my family provided me with conditions to be a leader even before I was a leader and Hmm. I didn't even know it. Explain that. What do you mean? I just, it's how my, it's how I was parented. Mm -hmm. I like, I was involved in Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I'm an, I'm an Eagle Scout. You know, I was, I learned more about leadership. Um, while folks were being academically and athletically when they were developing in those two lanes, I was developing in the leadership lane when I didn't even know it. Hmm. And then when I got into college, it was just more leadership and those conversations can be held off mic, but really like everything that I've done has prepared me for today. Yeah. And, and so to, but to answer your question about Mount Rushmore, I think about positive inputs and negative inputs Mm -hmm. and Malcolm Gladwell, super influential. Um, but really, for me, I'm, I'm not, that's not how I consume information. Mm-hmm. I consume information more, I'm a millennial, you know, I'm, I def- <laughs> this is the difference between you and I. Um, I, 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 read, a, I read a lot, yeah. but um, I think about my, uh, my, just this drive that I have, this thirst that I have to, for, mm-hmm. for development, getting paired with um, a guy like John Moyer, yeah. who, who should be on the podcast. Um, leadership coaching. Oh, he'll be here. Yeah, we'll leader, <laughs> leadership coaching for eight years. But then I just, I look at, I, I consume everything leadership. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, re- I'm reading the, the book on Alexander Hamilton right now. Mm-hmm. It's the most boring book I've ever yeah. read. But I'm trying to like, I'm trying to look for leadership. Yeah. You know, I am the pivot podcast. I think we've talked when I I was in the office cleaning out the office and I, I listened to, um, uh, who's the coach out of, out of Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin taking over an NFL locker room at age 37 Mm -hmm. was very, that's how I felt when I was taking over our Talmadge high school locker room at 40. Yeah. The things that he was saying in that podcast were were speaking me to like speaking to me directly. Mm -hmm. And so when I, I always look for leadership in the uh, inputs that I that that I really provide, mm-hmm. so it's hard for me. It's hard for me to really put a Mount Rushmore because I don't need one. Sure. Um, because I, I think the trick with leadership is if you're if you're doing what's right, mm-hmm. right. If you're doing what's right at all times, and you want to grow. You're you're just gonna like there doesn't need to be a monument of hey this is where I need to this sure. is this is where we aspire to be yeah and so for me it's really about just like living the life on a daily basis yeah well I love that you're um, that you're you're pointing that out because I think a lot of times so I've I've said this in the past it's a selfish question for me to ask and the reason is, reason I ask about the Mount Rushmore books is because I just I love to read you know and I have the time and the space to do that and I like you. Uh, I focus uh, generally on on leadership and how to grow in in my role, but you are right. It's I think it's the, the question that I constantly encourage people to ask because I have to ask myself this question, and that's this. You know, it's one of my four W's. You know, what am I feeding my mind? Yes, and it doesn't have to be a a book like Ron Chernow's Hamilton that's a thousand pages, you know, it's, it, it's a good book. It, it's a grind, right? Oh. But I mean, it can be just a quick snippet on a blog post or an Instagram reel or something like that, that, that feeds your mind as long as it's the right things. Right. And it took me a long time to get to that positive and negative inputs. I have some I have, we all have our vices of, of inputs, yeah. right? Our guilty pleasures. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I can tell you that, you know, Richard Feynman, he's actually the gentleman I have in my office. Yeah. He's the, he's the physicist that uh, solved the Challenger um, disaster. His books were super influential. Um, you know, I think about the Steve Jobs book. Mm-hmm. I read that thing. I tore through that book. Mm. And just what brought Steve Jobs into, like, again, but I didn't, I didn't tear into it from like the I want to know facts. Yeah, I was I was like, how do you lead? Yeah. Like Feynman, he he took risks and he decided to 
invest in teaching physics to undergrads in a traditional research-based research-based institution. And he reversed the norm and he revolted. Hmm. And he was criticized for that. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, again, kind of does the same thing. Revolts against the status quo, yeah. but brings this mindset and this focus in, in, in how he led Apple. And so when I read things, you know, so I can go, when I read things, I'll, it's crazy that I'm just like, I'm so thirsty for leadership that it's just, I will pick Mm-hmm. out the themes that apply to leadership. And I, and it sounds like I have no other hobbies. I promise I do. <laughs> but like, it's just, it goes back to when I was 14 years old right. as a young Boy Scout yeah. and I got my first leadership position. Yeah. Well, and so that's the other question that I ask that's part of the four dubs. You know, it's, it's you know, the second one, is, you know, it's what are you feeding your mind? And then the second one is what is your foundation, right? And that goes so many different directions. Uh, but you know, when I look at who you are, what has been formative in your life that has made you the leader that you are, and then you mentioned the Boy Scouts, and you mentioned how your father and your family have modeled that they all, you, you can see how that, that they lay this foundation and built upon that foundation is your own individual leadership style that is now being influenced by other things that you're feeding your mind, mm-hmm. right? Which then leads to the next two W's that I always ask, you know, who are you serving and who are you leading? And leadership and servant leader, servant leadership, those are two qualities that you exemplify, you know, on, on a daily basis uh, around this building. And so it's just neat to hear how that all came together and how it all is coming together. Uh, I, like you, read books that, um, that help me grow uh, recently been reading that book uh, on reasonable hospitality, mm-hmm. right? And it's all about the, you know, culinary arts. And it's funny, it's not specific to what I normally read. You know, I don't really read a lot about what goes on in the kitchen and in the restaurants and working like that. But funny story, today I had a student in our office, one whom you know, and I started talking about that book with her and it was amazing. It was a connection, uh, I, you know, if I hadn't plowed through it and continued to read about what, you know, what goes on in the restaurant, how they lead, and then think about it from a leadership perspective, like, okay, well, what can I take from this to help, you know, contribute to the culture here at the high school? I would have never had that talking point with her mm. and been able to uh, kind of bridge that gap. So um, that's a little ramble on my own because I just got excited thinking about that. But I'll tell you what, um, Mark, you know, um, it is interesting that it's the Mark and Mark uh <laughs> it could be its podcast in and of itself, right? right? The yep. Mark and Mark show. But uh, Mark, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and uh, I almost hate to cut it off. Uh, we are at an hour mm-hmm. and uh, you've got two little kids who are probably super excited for you to come home and watch Star Wars mm-hmm. and and wrestle around with you. But any, uh, any final thought that you might have that you might want to pass off to the listeners uh, here at Tommy Chai High School? Want anything else about you that you might want them to know? You know, I, I just I want, I want the community and I want our students and our staff to know that the future of Tommy Chai High School is in, is, is in the hands of two high-quality leaders. And I take, and, and, and as do you, but we take our the day in and day out work so seriously and deeply um, that we want Talmadge High School to offer the best opportunities for our students, for every kid, every single student. Mm. And I, I, I want folks to know that, they're, mm-hmm. they're, that there's competent leadership. And that sounds kind of like a little bit of a, self, like a plug. I'm still relatively unknown in the community. And, you know, the goal for me is to become known. And mm-hmm. I appreciate you providing a platform for me to define myself and to define a little bit more of the DNA. But I just, I'm excited to be leading a building. I'm excited to lead a staff. Mm-hmm. That is, that those that are in this building are committed. And the, stu- the student population here, man, it's so fun. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I, it's going to be, we have a bright future. We do. We certainly do. Uh, We are truly blessed. And um, I thank you for spending some valuable time here. I know time is of the essence for you, and I know you're um, 
ready to get home. But what you've shared with us today um, is uh, I'm motivated, I'm inspired, and I hope you as the listener understand uh, who Mark Treen, the leader, is. And the one thing that just continues to resonate with me, and then we'll conclude it with this, is that you just genuinely love our kids. And I appreciate that as a community member, as a father of a graduate, and as a current student, and then also as uh, the assistant principal serving underneath you. So, Mark, thanks for joining us. And listener, I appreciate you tuning in. I know this was a little bit of a longer one, but certainly well worth the listen to. Do me a favor. Please share this episode. Share Mr. Treen's story out there uh, so that all of Talmadge knows that our school is in very good hands. Thanks for joining us.